0: Welcome to the TTPOA podcast, a podcast for SWAT officers, military, and all first responders. We'll be talking training, tactics, and leadership with the best subject matter experts around. Here are your hosts, Derek and Brandon.
1: Hey guys, welcome back to. Uh, was this our fifth podcast? Fifth, six? I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know yet. We've lost track, man, of what we're doing here. So Brandon here and my big, sexy friend over here, Derek. Uh, today, man, we have the pleasure and honor uh, of having Matt Little uh, with Graybeard Actual, uh, Staccato. Um,
0: what else are you affiliated with, man? I've got a few different companies that kind of help me out with with my training company. So uh-huh. like a Weber Tactical for Holsters, um, Verdicts for okay. Bags and clothing and stuff uh-huh. like that. Um, I'm also working on some stuff with a uh, Lone Star Armory. Okay. For rifles and uh and PCCs as well. Yeah. So, and so you got your hands in all kinds of things, man. Trying to keep busy. This is like uh this is how I'm uh enjoying myself in my retirement. So you <laughs> all have to have hobbies. Well, well,
2: good. well, good. You're supposed to relax during yeah. retirement.
0: This is relaxing. Okay. Yeah. yeah.
1: So uh, tell us about yourself. Who you are. What you're about. And then we'll just kind of take it from there, man.
0: All right. My name is Matt Little. And uh, recently, two years ago, I guess now, I retired from Chicago PD, where I was the training coordinator for our SWAT team, at a okay. full-time SWAT team. A few years before that, I retired out of 20th Special Forces Group, where my last gig there was running the training team there as well. Okay. Prior to that, I was on an ODA. Um, you know, Deployments on an ODA – Um, I also did a little bit of time as a contractor in the early days of the Iraq war with Triple Canopy. Took a leave of absence from the PD. Um, I'm also a a competitive shooter, and I kind of, I tend to geek out on performance and how to create it and how to train. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what I like to do. Okay. And that's kind of what led me to doing the training thing in my retirement. Right, right. Well, good. So how many years did you do in Chicago? I did
1: 21 in Chicago. 21 years. Man, that's that's probably like... Dog years for a lot of. I mean, Chicago. It, the tempo was pretty high,
0: right? But, uh, but like I said, I was in twentieth group, so I got to I got to take vacations to, to do that. To interesting hotspots, yeah.
2: <laughs> to relax, exactly. Interesting. <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah,
1: it's it's funny how we what we find is fun. To most people, are like that's fun, yeah, that's fun, man. Like this is.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I I gotta be honest, like so deployments with an ODA, right? It's and this would seem weird to certain people, but it's actually very I'm trying to think of the right word, right way to describe it. It's a very like pure life when you're over there. Like I mean, you have things to worry about that are big scale things. But it's not as murky and complex as being back in the states. Like you're not thinking about your bills the same way or yeah. you're not driving in rush hour traffic. Basically, mm-hmm. your your job is kind of kind of simple. Right simple may be the wrong word. Maybe there's like a purity to it, I guess Mm -hmm. is the best way to put it. I could, I could see how that. Well, I mean, you
2: guys have one task and you're focused on that one task versus everyday life back here. Bills are due. I got to go to the grocery store. I got to go to work. I have to, you know, do all the things that we
0: do on a daily activity here.
1: I have to be a husband. I have to be a father. father, I mean, just all that stuff. It it, it adds up.
0: Yeah. and, And over there, it's like, I mean, you're, you're training and you're, doing operations. And that's pretty much your whole life. And that's, it's kind of neat actually. How was that
2: transition going from where you came from to civilian law enforcement?
0: So that was, that was kind of interesting for me because so I'm, I'm a pretty, I'm an older guy, right? Like I Mm -hmm. I made it through the Q course and everything long before nine 11. Mm -hmm. So it was a different army then, which is how I wound up being a cop full time and in 20th group in the guard. And it was, yeah, it's, there, there's differences in culture and there's differences in priorities for the organization. And there's obviously differences in like the optics, the way things look and mm-hmm. your rules of engagement. But I always really felt that the two jobs really complemented each other very well. And not just on the tactical side. I mean, it's, so a big part of what you do in SF is building rapport with the locals and, you know, training the local troops and kind of working that piece of it, right. Being the classical, you know, force multiplier. Right. Right. And I mean, let's face it as a cop, even as a SWAT cop, if you can't talk to people, you're never going to be a very effective cop. You've got to be able to build that rapport and talk to people and get people to talk to you.
2: You know, we do more talking than we do hands-on stuff most of the time. Yeah. And that's, you know, that, you know, that's one of the problems that I see because um, I'm at our Academy now at the Academy level. That's part I see with some of the younger generation of cops, you know, they're, they're only involved in their little three foot world because the most of the time they're on their, their phone texting or whatever it is, they could text a show a conversation, but, <laughs> but they can't like have a face to face conversation with somebody. Yeah. Right. And that's the hard part for us to train that with these kids to get these kids to understand like, Hey you're going to have to talk to people a lot more than you shoot somebody or a lot more than you go hands on. Yeah.
0: You know, if, if people won't talk to you, you're worthless as a cop. And honestly on an ODA in SF, you've got to get people to talk to you. I mean, you're you're generating your own Intel for your own missions. You're, you're doing all that stuff. It's different than being in an SMU where, you know, it's more (laughs) theater level things and they're sending you there. You're, you're finding your own work and, if you can't develop that intelligence, you're worthless. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think
1: SWAT is is such a good tool for community outreach. Uh, when we do stuff, I mean, all the kids like, man, the bear cat, the guns, and, and we're great ambassadors for the policing world because it's a different, it's a specialized unit. It's, and, and no offense to other cops, it, it's a special thing. I mean, and yeah. it's like the superhero. Cop mentality, and, and I think, like you said, if you can talk with people, and you're you're building bridges for people that see you as oh man, that's those SWAT guys, but oh man, those are actually just normal dudes, uh, and I think it's a great ambassador tool. So, those guys that turn their nose up to the quote community policing, we're doing community policing. It's just different because we're building just a rapport and just being normal dudes to guys, uh, and, 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 kids and, and things like that. So,
0: well, and even too, like, additionally, you know, not just that side of it, but think about when you execute a warrant, right? Like how you talk to someone as the SWAT guy yeah. is going to set the stage for that detective mm-hmm. talking to them afterwards. And if they're receptive to it or not, yeah, you know, and if you're, if you're just a, if you can talk to people, yeah, it sets the right stage. Yeah. Or even talking to your own guys,
1: like, yeah. hey, we need to do this. Or I, I think SWAT builds so much leadership in the police department because it's really the only place that you start off at the bottom, and hey, you're the new guy. You got this. You got all the shit responsibilities, and then once you master that and you show responsibility, hey, we're going to give you some more responsibilities. Now you're building your way up, and then you just keep working and working. Where you become a cop man. I'm just a street cop. And then, okay, I promote because I can read a book, but I've never led anybody. I've never been given all these tasks to prove and to keep working. So I think that gets overlooked so many times uh, in, in, in the
0: policing world. And that's one of the things I loved about both jobs is that both jobs are true meritocracies. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, you know, SF on the military side, SWAT on the police side, are kind of unique in the organizations because it really is a meritocracy. Mm-hmm. It's not just about rank. It's not about, you know, political clout or pull. It's yeah. about being able to do the job. Yes. And that's kind of unique in both professions. And it, it suited me. It, it made me happy to be in somewhere that it mattered how good you were mm-hmm. more than anything else. Yeah. You know, we, we've, and there's guys that come through
1: that just don't pan out. They, they look the part they can do the PT, they can do this, but man, when they get down and we've talked about this from, with the other guys, it's, can you be a team player? Can you take away your ego and make it all about the team? And some guys can't. Mm-hmm. And man, that's a huge thing. Uh, and and that's what you're talking about, the respect of, I respect all those guys that can look at it. Hey, it's a team effort. I can't do anything without you and you and it that is that is an amazing
2: aspect of what we do for SWAT. I think that's one of the joys that I always find is the camaraderie, the teamwork. Well, it's about the it's about the person to your left and your right when you're doing something, right? And um, I forget who said it earlier, but you know they didn't want to be the person to have to go to your wife, your kids, and go, yeah. "Hey, I did something that caused Matt to get killed. Mm-hmm. I did something, I failed, and I got Matt hurt." Yeah, you know,
0: well, and, and even even on like a smaller scope. I think because I did a lot of thinking about this as a supervisor, right? When Because I, I was able to kind of rework our selection process for mm-hmm. CPD SWAT and our train up. And one of the things that I think makes SF so successful is that it's really all about what can I do to earn my place today, mm-hmm. Like it's not, I made it through selection and now I'm arrived. Now yeah. I'm owed. It's yeah. not that at all. It's you wake up every morning and you're like, okay, how do I prove that I deserve to be here today? Yeah. And that kind of culture, I think if you have that kind of culture in an organization, that matters more than anything else. It matters more than funding. It matters more than support from the brass. It, it matters more than all of that because you'll find a way to get it done. If yeah. Everybody on the team is like, okay, how can I show my teammates that I deserve to be part of them? Yeah that I deserve to be here. And if everybody looks at it that way, you can accomplish things that seem almost superhuman, not because the people are superhuman, but because everybody's got that attitude of how do I make this better and how do I earn my place? Yeah.
2: Yeah. When you first uh, started working with Chicago, were you on the team prior to being a
0: supervisor on the team? So there really wasn't a true SWAT team. Prior to that. Um, really? Yeah. I spent a, <laughs> a brief amount of time in what was called the special operations section, which was kind of the forerunner to SWAT mm-hmm. in Chicago. But Chicago didn't have what I would really consider a SWAT team wow. until in the 2000s. So, really? <laughs> yeah. That, that's,
2: that, wow. that's surprising. You I wouldn't... Never get well, that. like the second or third largest police agency in the country, correct?
0: It's the third largest city, or maybe fourth now, and the second largest department. Yeah. After Dang. New York. In 2000s is when it got...
2: So... When you took over and you started doing some of the training, the military training that you had in special forces, did all that really translate towards civilian law enforcement? And did you have a hard time trying to make a, make a difference between the both, you know, realizing, Hey, you got to do this on one side of the house of your life. And then over here, you have to do it a
0: certain way here. So, yeah. So there's a lot to unpack there, right? It's it's not a simple answer. (laughs) So some things are different both logistically, like just the way the organizations work. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously on the military, there's no overtime and you you belong to the army. So (laughs) you're at work for four days, you're at work for four days. And the police department's a bit different. But I think that the principles are universal, right? How you apply those is always contextual, you know, and that's true even for even take just the military without the police, right? The TTPs and SOPs for one war can be different than the TTPs and SOPs for another war because the environment is different. Right. The threat is different. Support is different. There's all these logistical things that are different. ROEs may be different.
1: Yeah.
0: But the principles aren't changed. Yeah. Just how you apply them have changed. And that's kind of how I look at it as police versus military. Like, I, I'm a big fan... The CQB I like to do on the law enforcement side is drawn from military special operations because the lessons that have been learned in the last two decades right. are huge. Yes, and you can't discount that. And and I hate it. It's one of my pet peeves when cops discount that by saying it's somehow different. Bullets behave the same in both places. Yes. Having said that, there are differences, right? You know, the severity of threat typical severity of threat is lower on the police side. Right. But in my opinion, in places like Chicago, in my experience, the frequency of the threat is actually higher, even though the severity is lower. Yeah. Am I making sense? Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Sure. So that kind of, that does kind of affect how you do things. Right. And, you know, infiltration to the objective is different. So that can affect your equipment. You can have equipment on a SWAT team. You couldn't take with you on an Mm SM team. Mm -hmm. You know, you can have the, the big ballistic barricades on wheels. You can have all right. kinds of nice toys that will help you do this, that are safer. And you should take advantage of those depending on the mission. Of course. Right. Um, I think where, where it's interesting is. So on the military side, even dynamic CQB has become more deliberate because of the threats and the lessons learned. Mm-hmm. Right. And then on the police side, things have become maybe a bit more dynamic than they used to be mm-hmm. with good reason. Mm-hmm. So I think you're kind of getting this cross-pollinization that's mm-hmm. very valuable. Yeah. And I'd like to see more of that. Um, I It's kind of a shame. I think there aren't as many people who have kind of done both yeah. as you would think at, like at a high level. But I do think that, we're getting this kind of information exchange no, for sure. For sure. It, and it's, it's especially with like
1: organizations like this with who we bring in and training and, and all that kind of, and that's what we want to, to do is yep. build that bridge and, and, and and get that information shared uh, and not have, Hey, this is my piece of the pie. This is yours. And you can't, that, that's wrong. But, um, but I like that. And, and you're, when you were, when you were talking and, and I was thinking, I was like, you're, you're a rare bird in the industry of having, both sides of it Um, and working in Chicago and then your military career that that's that's a really cool deal because I I work with guys and and they're on the military side and they're like man we like having an LE guy because there's a different perspective there's some stuff that that you just have a a uniqueness because of law enforcement uh, which is good so I I love that you have both uh, and you understand the mind and you understand the the limitations and 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 stuff of, of both worlds
0: you know, and there's things you can do on the military side that you cannot do in law enforcement, especially mm-hmm. in today's climate. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and you have to understand that. Right. And there's also assets you have. I mean, if there's times on the military side where if you're taking you know heavy resistance, you can simply call in indirect fire or an airstrike. You can't yeah. do that in law enforcement. Right. <laughs> it just doesn't work that way. Right. And there's optics. And optics matter more than ever on the military side now, but not as much as on the police side. Yeah, And there's things you have to be aware of. You've got to understand that, yeah. you know? Um, the tempo thing. And I've gotta give credit to my supervisor in Chicago because he was very much, he was very meticulous about following basically the nationally accepted standards for timelines on when you escalate force, when you do things, when you move to the next step. And I'm going to be honest, I remember being frustrated being a supervisor under him at times because I wanted to go. Yeah. But quite honestly, he was correct Mm -hmm. because, you know, if there's no, if there's no danger of a hostage Mm -hmm. losing their life, then he's keeping everybody on the team safe from litigation by following things the way he's Mm following. And that's, it can be frustrating when you're the guy, you know, who wants to go, Yeah but he's not wrong. Like that's an important thing you have to understand that doesn't apply on the military side at all. Yeah. You know,
2: that's what we talked about earlier with, um, um I can't remember now, but you know, in law enforcement, we are great at going zero to a hundred when we have to, but we're horrible at tapping the brakes and backing down to 75 or 50. Once we've hit that, at Max speed, right? And I think it's really good to have. A, I, I understand your frustration with your supervisor because I'm not a supervisor, but we have some of the, fr- the some of the same frustrations, right? You see those those moments, you're like, hey, we need to do this, this, and this, and you know, he's like, no, 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 no let's just let's just chill here, and we're good because there's nothing driving us, yeah. And absolutely, when you when you get done and you you look at it, right, like in hindsight, you're like, yeah, man, you're right, you're right. I, I totally get it, and I think too, you know. Every call out, every
1: warrant, yeah, there's a template we follow, but each operation in and of itself Mm -hmm. has its own uniqueness and its own problems that you got to problem solve a lot of times on the fly. And we always talk about with our team, and and we took this from uh, some tier one guys that shift in gears of being able to go, hey, we got to go fast. Oh, hey, hit that clutch, hit the brake. Okay, now let's slow it down. Okay, now we speed it up. Now we got to do this. And it just, I hate that. I hate when guys get in these boxes of, we only do it this way. Yeah, we only do it this way. This well, and the other pet peeve of mine is well, that's military. That works for, well. We can't airstrike. Well, hell no, you can't. But the other shit when you get into a room, a room's a room. A room. That's what Brokos always talks about. When he, I'm like, you're right because we would set up training or Man, we hit this room. Okay, now we're going to change our tactic to this because when we get this room, this is what we're going to do. Like,
0: that's bullshit. Now, I mean. it it drives me crazy. That was one of the things that would make me a little crazy too. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's also one of the things where I think that I know plenty of people who have done police work to the level I have. I know plenty of people who've done military stuff to the level of, that Mm -hmm. I have, I'm going to be honest. though. I think I have kind of a unique Mm -hmm. balance of the two. Yeah. And that's one of the things I think that gives me the strengths that I have in the training industry uh-huh. is that I can tell the cops from personal experience like, no, this does apply. yeah. Or I can be like, no, you're right. Actually, this doesn't, you know what I mean? I, yes. I understand when it does and when it doesn't. Right. And I can kind of call the bullshit flag when guys yeah. are using that yeah. as an excuse. Yeah.
2: I but mean, it, your experience on both sides validates everything that you're talking about in the classes that you teach, because you are coming from the high level military to the high level LE guys. And I think that, you know, that's uh, that's awesome. Um, to be able to 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 be able to use both sides of the house and say, hey, this is what we need to do. I've been there in your shoes. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, because it, it's
1: that that is. I, I hate that when those when guys say, oh, that's military. We can't do that. Or you know, they don't they don't hit the same size house as we do. I'm like,
0: so, really? Uh,
1: like no, really. Have you really like dealt? Once again, it's that ego deal of, yeah, I'm just, man, let it go. Take what it, take what is valuable and, and, and use it and,
0: and don't be that big fish in your little pond. Something that, so like, like I said earlier, is kind of an aside to the military and law enforcement is that I really, I'm really interested in performance and how to train for it. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that, cause we throw the phrase tactical athlete around all the time, but then we don't train our people like athletes. We mm-hmm. <laughs> don't. Yeah. So, Like it's one of the things I hate is when people have these, just they want to throw these things out rather than actually working on it and figuring it out and debating it, studying it, testing it, finding data, doing it. Right. And guys will say like, yeah, well, you know, we can't put four people to a room because our our rooms are smaller. Have you been to Afghanistan? Right. It's yeah. And look at data, Mm -hmm. run it, test it, try it. Yeah, and run it in Sims, see what it see what it's about. Don't don't be attached to the way you've done it because going back to the performance thing, I really firmly believe that ego is the enemy of improvement. Mm-hmm. And that if you look at people that are really good at anything, they have pride in their abilities. That's different than having an ego. The ego is what cripples you. It's like yeah. I have to be this I have to present myself as this, you know, package that can't be improved upon and I can never make a mistake and I can't be wrong, that cripples you. Yes, it does. And if you look at the guys that are really good at anything, they're always experimenting. They're always, Hey, is there a better way to do this? Is there something I can do? Can I shave off a thousandth of a second? If I do it this way, can I be slightly more accurate if I put the pad of my finger, you know, three millimeters further (laughs) to the left on my trigger? Yeah. You know, um, is my recoil control better if I cam my grip in or if I press it straight in, like there's yeah. all these little experiments yeah. people do yeah. that are good at things. Yeah. And the people that are just okay at things don't do that.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, a quote I really like that I use in training a lot. It's from the author that wrote silence of the lambs mm-hmm. and it's the sequel to that Hannibal. Right. Mm-hmm. And one of the first lines in the book is technique is the religion of the dangerous trades. Mm-hmm. And I think what happens is because people go in harm's way, and they're taught a certain thing and they haven't they haven't taken the deep dive and really deconstructed it to see why things work and what principles make them work and how to be better. Yeah, They're taking what they've been taught and they know that their lives depend on it. So they have to be dogmatic about it like religion. Yeah, And I think that that has a shoring up effect psychologically, but a very limiting effect for performance improvement. Mm-hmm. And if you look at your technique and your principles and all these things as a principles may be different. Like some of those things are universal, but if you look at like techniques or your SOPs as somehow being the only way things can be done right, and you're afraid to test and evaluate, you're going to limit your growth. Yeah.
2: Well, that goes into the thing that uh, I run into sometimes. That's the way we've always done it. Yes. Right. And I, I absolutely hate that because if we're not changing the things that we're doing because of what we're seeing, then one, as a team leader, I'm doing my due to disservice right? I'm setting them up for failure. Um, and you know, it's just, I hate that. I I just hate that this is the way we've always done it. We get that a lot from higher up admin guys or whatever it is, but you know, that's the battle that we fight and we do make changes. We try to make changes on certain tactics. You know, Hey, it's not working with this group of guys that we have right now. So, Hey, let's, let's, let's back off a little bit. Let's do things a little bit different. You know, we try because we, we figured out if, if we don't make those changes, and be proactive seeing things and making those changes. Yeah. Somebody higher will, and they have no idea what they're even doing or talking about. Yeah. And, and I, I, I always, I love this discussion with guys in, in, in
1: the SWAT community or SF community. Man, this is, you got to have this mind to think that that's the most powerful tool that we have. And if you're not using it, man, it. it I don't care about how muscled you are, how big you are, man. It's it's right in that mind because everything else,
0: you know. There's this perception, um, less on the military side, more on the police side, right? That, you know, being an assaulter, or being you know a SWAT guy or an SF guy or any of that, that is somehow this you know lunkhead job, that is yeah. this meathead job, yeah. And it is not. Don't get me wrong, it's athletic. Yeah, you need to be in good shape. You need to be yeah. an athlete. But this is a thinking man's job. Yep, it sure is. And you gotta be able to think fast mm-hmm. on your feet, under pressure, with high stakes, and be calm. And that's not an easy thing. No. That's well look at CQB. Like how many of you guys know somebody that like they may be phenomenally athletic and a great guy and a yes. good shooter? Yeah. They cannot do CQB. Yes. They just can't process under stress in that compressed time frame. Yeah. You see it all the time. Yep. And they just don't have that attribute, mm-hmm. right?
2: And just indecision yeah. as well. Yes. Just, I mean, just critical decision-making. We talked about just indecision. Just, I don't know what to do. I don't, yeah. know, I don't know what to do. And by the time you, you come up with something, shit, man, at that time, that window of opportunity is already bypassed and gone. Yeah, And I think, like, when, when I watch guys do CQB or I'm training
1: our guys, one of the things that I always look for, because it tells me that you're thinking about it, Is when you mess up and you see them like, oh, yep, that's what I should have done. I should have. And then you ask them, hey, or they go, yep, I fucked up on this one. I should have done that. That tells me you know what you did because there's no perfect runs. It's the guy who comes in there and you look at his head, uh, his eyes, and then he runs and then you start critiquing and he doesn't say anything because he's like, man, I don't want to. I don't know if I even did it right or not. I, I don't really know. That's when I start having issues with guys of, hey, man, you're. You need to step this this up. How much are you working on home? Are you running through your house? Every time you go to someone's house, are you, hey, man, how would I take this down CQB-wise, okay? If I'm the number four guy, what am I doing? If I'm coming in number five guy and he does this, if you're not thinking about that, I'm sorry. You're not going to be a good SWAT guy. You're going to be just, eh. You're not going to be that A guy on your team that guys go, hey, man, I'm a new
0: guy. I want to be like that guy because he is squared away. You should, in my opinion, right. You should want to be the master of your craft. Mm-hmm. I mean, you should, you know, and like I kind of like performance. I also kind of geek out on history, right? Like I, I like reading about you know martial cultures of times past and like you mm-hmm. know warrior history and philosophy and all that stuff, right? He's once
1: again another smarter guy than we are. Oh, definitely. I, Everybody
0: no, we have on here is always smarter. So. But it's if you look at that, like what what separates like the warrior classes that we remember throughout history from the ones we've forgotten. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, what what separates the Spartans from the Athenians or, yeah. you know, the samurai from you know, some other mm-hmm. culture, right? It's the fact that they, like, they devoted their lives to mastering their craft. Yeah, And that's the attitude I think you need to have. And that's the attitude most guys do have, which is nice to see. It's, I, I really honestly believe that Our current elite warrior culture, and I know warrior is not a popular word for law enforcement these days. Yeah. Protector is. A warrior is a protector. Yeah. And a protector is a warrior, in my opinion, right? I mean, it's the difference is whether you're, it's more scope and cause. It's not a difference in mindset or technique, Mm -hmm. right? So much. Yeah. You know? You should be spending every day trying to master your craft, yeah. I think. And I think that the warrior class we have now is equal of any throughout history. Yeah, You know, you look at, you know, your top level SWAT guys, your top level special operations guys, like we have reached a Zenith. That's like, it's like the samurai or the Spartans or, yeah. you know, the Templars. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's both a, a really interesting thing. And it's kind of a daunting thing too, for the newer guys.
1: Yeah yeah well i think that's one of the the reasons why we're doing this podcast now is it shouldn't intimidate you as a swat guy or or anybody in this in this field to have conversation because that's part of mastering your craft hey man you don't i respect you for who you are and what you did but man i am i am not above asking you hey tell me about what tell me your experience what what are you seeing not this ego land hey man it's a Dick measuring contest, and at the end of the day, man, I, I don't care what you do because this is my lane. I'm bad at. I, I hate that, man. Learn, that's the mastering as well as talking. I
0: I love doing this. Well, mentoring. Yes, right? yeah. you should. Everybody should be mentoring the next guys coming up mm-hmm. and giving them an easier way to reach that mastery. Yeah. Right. Like you know, you, if you're recreating the wheel with every generation of guys you're not going to ever be able to get to the peak, right? Everybody's got to kind of work together and stand on each other's shoulders and keep getting higher. Yeah. And I think, I think a weakness of both professions is that sometimes people hoard knowledge. Yes. Yes. You know? Yeah.
2: I totally agree. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Why do you think, is it, Is it, are they, do you think like they're ashamed because they do it a certain way and they don't want to maybe embarrass themselves of like in front of like another team or other guys, or they're like, oh, our stuff is special and
0: it's the best and we're not going to give it with anybody else. I I think a lot of it, I mean, that might be part of it, but I was thinking more of the cases that, I mean, I can think of multiple examples in both careers, right? Where people are kind of like, this knowledge is my worth. Remember I said, it's, it's the bad side of the, I have to prove myself every day. Yeah. It's the flip side of the coin. The Just good,
2: proving their existence, right? I mean, yeah, is that. Yeah. The,
0: the good side of it is if I have to prove my worth every day, then I'm contributing to the team. But the flip side, the negative side that you have to guard against is okay, now I've earned this knowledge and won it. I'm yeah. not going to share it because then I won't be special. Yeah. I'm not the
1: go to guy anymore. Exactly. I'm not. I want everybody on the team to be that go to guy. Yeah. Because if it is, that makes my job easier, that makes his job easier. And we were we were talking with Jared Reston uh, last night and, and he was talking about when he got off the team, his supervisors are like, Who's gonna you know, who do you want to take your place? He's like, Man, any guy, all these guys, we have built these guys up. Like, you pick
0: one. They're gonna be they're gonna step up to what they need to do. And that's what you should want. And this is something the military does better than the police. Mentoring is something the military side does better. Mm-hmm. But it's something I always tried to do as a supervisor on the police department as well, yeah. right? Like kind of the the SF mindset is you're always training your successor. Like if you're the senior commo guy on an ODA, your junior is going to be you Mm -hmm. and you need to make sure he's up to the, to the task. Right. You're always, you're always training your successor. Yeah. And the police, I don't think we look at it that way as much. And I think we should. I agree. Because like, that's if you're always trying to bring the people underneath you up to a better level, you're improving their lives. You're improving the organization. You're improving the service to the public. It's just, it's just a win all the way across yeah. the board. Mm-hmm. But if you're hoarding that knowledge to make yourself special, you're only hurting everyone, including yourself. Yeah.
1: I, I love when the, the new guys come in and they ask you questions or they're not challenging you like, hey, well, let's fight or anything, but they make you think and go, yeah, you know what? I've never thought about it that way. You have a different perspective because you're new. Or, you know what? It's been a while since I was a new guy. Hmm. I like the way
2: that you're thinking because it's been a while since I learned it. So, well, when they ask questions too, it also shows that as an instructor, you're making that person think. Yes. Right. So you're kind of hitting, like, like, like you're getting their attention. And now that person's sitting back going, oh, man are you actually talking about doing this or this or yeah. like, what if this, and I like doing that. I rather have somebody ask questions other than me going, Hey, you guys good? You got any questions? Everybody going, yeah, we're good because you know, not everybody completely understands what we're trying to get across. Yeah. There's that one person, but he's just too ashamed or embarrassed or doesn't want to be the guy in class to go. No, I, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Cause
1: that's why I- going back to getting more people involved and raising them up. I might say something. The other guy might say something. We're saying the ex- exact same tactic, but their terminology is a little bit different. And they're like, Oh yeah. It's kind of like when you talk to your son, you've been telling your son over and over and over. And then his football coach him pretty much the same damn things. Dad. Hey, you know what my coach told me today? Hey,
0: yeah, little shit. I've been telling you that for 15 years. <laughs> now you just, you know, so it's, Like one of the challenges as a teacher, right, is knowing what coaching cue to use with what student. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that kind of fascinates me, actually, is like trying to figure out what the key for that lock is, how to get that light bulb to turn on. Yeah, And it's everybody truly does learn a little bit different and conceptualize a little bit differently, right? Mm -hmm. So you've got to figure out how to package that information so that it gets transmitted properly. Yeah. And that's always a cool challenge. Do you ever think, though,
1: there's just sometimes, man, that guy's just not going to get it. Have you ever had that? Or
0: yeah, and and I think I mean, kind of going back to like our examples about CQB, right? Like not everybody can do it. Yeah, it's just it's just a task that not everyone has talent for. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of tasks like that. Yeah. Um. But I think in the majority of cases, the information can be transmitted, and in the overwhelming majority of cases, you can at least make them better than they are. Yeah. You know, you can improve that person beyond where they were. Yeah. Their ultimate potential is a combination of so many factors. Yeah, I, I like, I like the new
1: guys. There's some guys that
0: are, they just don't know what they
1: don't know because they, no one has ever invested in them. to go, Hey man, let me pause for what you're doing here. Let, let me show you some different things. Let me, let this guy, let this guy, we're going to invest in you to show you just, a different way of doing things, mentoring them, taking knowledge from. Hey, man, I was that little dumbass twenty-three year old cop. There was some stuff that I should have done differently, uh, but now I have knowledge to go. Hey, yeah, this is this is a little different way to do, and 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 taking and and you man, you see guys flourish with that, and that's a good thing. Uh, and that's what we should be doing with, with with
0: guys, not just on SWAT, but in our department. Well, it shouldn't take an entire career going back to that phrase again, right? Mastery of your craft. It shouldn't take an entire career to master your craft. Yeah. And unfortunately all too often, by the time you really, really truly understand it, you're kind of already old and broken. Mm -hmm. Right. And one of the reasons why I started the training company is I really wanted to like, I wanted to give the younger equivalent of me everything I wish somebody had given me back then Mm -hmm. for shooting, for CQB, for all that stuff. Right. Because It took me so long to figure everything out and it could have been done so much quicker if I had been given the right information, Yeah, you know, and, and that like, that's truly the motivation behind it is I want to, I want to package up the things I wish somebody had given me and give them to the guys that need it. Yeah. No.
2: When you made that transition from the military to the police Academy, right. Getting hired on and some of the training that you went through there, were you just like, what am I doing here? Why, why did I do this?
0: Not so much because I understood I looked at it as more like basic training. You know what I mean? And I understood like kind of the rationale behind
2: who you're teaching to. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, I will say that one of the things I did wrong and I should not have done this wrong was I did not understand the cultural differences between the Chicago police department and doing what I did in the military. And I should not have made that error because that's one of the things you're supposed to be good at as an SF guy is, you know, learning the culture of where you're at. But I wasn't looking at it that way. I was looking at it like I wanted to excel on the police department. And I came on too strong at first. You know, I, I came on like I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to be... The best. The best, yeah. You know? <laughs> and there's a balancing act with that, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you can't...
2: So you probably came off kind of cocky, That that's the... That's the- but special
0: forces guy. No one can tell him anything. He's the best in shape, best shooter. And it wasn't so much. I mean, it wasn't really that I was cocky. It was that I wanted to prove myself. I wanted to do good. And I, it took me a couple of years on the PD to kind of realize that I had to approach things a bit differently to get things done. Mm. And this isn't a, this isn't a value statement at all. I'm not, I'm not making a value judgment whatsoever. Mm. Um, If anything, like I said, it was a mistake I never should have made. I should have been smart enough to see that, this wasn't really how I should have gone about it. But once I kind of realized the difference in the culture between the two organizations, yeah, then it was a lot smoother for me. For that. Yeah. yeah.
2: What drove you into law enforcement? Like, like what just happened? You're like, Hey, I'm just going to go ahead and do this and give it a shot and see what I can do.
0: Um, honestly, before nine eleven, it looked like nothing much was going to happen on the military side of things. Mm-hmm. So I thought I could get, action and enjoy it and, and have a good time with it and and I did I mean I'm I'm very glad I did it yeah I think that the way I did things was kind of in many respects the best of both worlds you know yeah and it was it was a really unique experience um I'm glad I was a cop like it it was I loved the job yeah
1: like that's one of the things I don't I don't have career choice life regrets or anything like that. But that's always one thing that I've always like, man, that would have been a, that, that would have been cool to go do that. Uh, but just by circumstances, having kids early and I just, that wasn't, that wasn't my path, but I wish it could have been just cause that man, that, that's, that's a cool, like being a cop and doing that, man, you get the best of both worlds. Like you were saying, cause being a cop, that's the, what a show that we get to just be a part of humanity and you see people at their worst day, and, and you just learn so much. And then the military side, and I've never been in it, but talk with a bunch of friends of mine, man, what a great experience that is. That's another show that's that no one gets to see. Very rarely do 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 men like us. There's just very few of us out there. And I don't say it in a bragging way. It's just, hey, I'm not a millionaire. There's that's just not me. That's not what I chose, and I wouldn't. Anyway, it's just I don't know. I I admire that side of men. I really do. And and women, I mean they when I say men it's you know in general but
0: it like both both professions gave me this kind of entry ticket into a world that most people only experience in books and movies, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And Going back to, I'm going to wax philosophic again. Sorry, <laughs> no man, um, <laughs> roll with it. So, like, like you look at like all these these legendary tales that we still know about, right? You know, the Iliad by Homer. Mm-hmm. You know, the 300 Spartans. Yeah. Um, the Tokugawa Shogunate in Japan. You know, the Warring States stuff that you did the Netflix documentary on. Like all these, all these larger than life characters that really existed that we hear about. You know, Achilles and mm-hmm. all, all these people, Leonidas. I have been given the great privilege and honor of my life to fight alongside people, the equal of any of those legends. Yeah, And all I had to do was, you know, bust my ass and go to selection and earn my place. And then I was lucky enough that I got to earn a spot besides these just incredible Mm. people. And you can't put a price on that. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know,
1: it it, it, It is amazing just. And it all goes back to and, and everyone we've had on this show. It all goes back to mindset and self being selfless uh, because that's the, that's the only way you get the next level
2: and, and do it for your and do it for your teammates, doing it yeah. for your, doing it for the guy to the right and the left of you. Yeah. Yep. Um,
1: so staccato get your shirt on. How'd you get hooked up with
0: those guys? So this was really just good fortune for me. Um, I just retired from Chicago PD and I was promoting my training company at the NRA show Mm -hmm. and I knew some of the people at Staccato from shooting USPSA Mm -hmm. and I was just in the right place at the right time. They were looking for, you know, law enforcement and military people who were instructors to sponsor. And that's how I wound up getting sponsored with them. And they're, what they've done with the pistol is amazing. Mm -hmm. It's, they've taken the performance of like literally the gun that dominates competition mm-hmm. and they've made it tuned for duty use so that it's reliable and dependable yeah. and durable. It's, it's an amazing gun. And then they sponsored me for about a year. And then I had the opportunity to come on salary with them doing stuff for law enforcement and military. Yeah. And I jumped at it. Cause I believe in the product. I believe in the company. It's, this goes back to mastering your craft, right? Yeah. If you want to be a master of your craft, you have the best tools possible to do your job. Yeah. And for us, like those legendary warriors in history, right? Like, you know, their mm. sword was their prized possession. Yeah, Our firearms are our prized possessions. That's, those are our swords, our mm. weapons. And I really believe that we should have the best possible tools. Yeah, And I, I like being on the side of getting that out to the people that need them to do that. Well, I got to shoot one for the very
1: first time on Wednesday. And, man, I, after I shot, I was like, okay, I need another mag. And then you gave me your personal gun to shoot. I was like, oh, my gosh. And then the, all, the, all day long on Wednesday, I kept thinking, man, I was that f- trigger pull. And I just kept thinking about it. And and I've shot a ton of guns over my career. But that gun right there, I just kept thinking and thinking mm-hmm. and thinking. And then I told my wife about it. I was like, hey. Um, and then I brought her down to the booth. I'm like, okay, just here you go. Like, if you want to give me something, here's some here's something you can give me. Um, but foot and all with guns and, and y'all, y'all partnered with us uh, in region seven for the basic SWAT. Yes. I've uh, I emailed you and, and, and got, uh, got uh, y'all to sponsor the, the bags, the uh, sandbags and y'all have y'all uh, logo on there. So anytime we do that or uh, us Garland guys work out, matter of fact, our last practice, we were throwing y'all's bags around. So we always like to, to partner with y'all and, and, and 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 do things with, with with y'all.
0: Good. I'm glad they're getting use, and and I'm hoping we can we can do more stuff like that in the future. And yeah. maybe I can help facilitate yeah. that because I yeah. like that.
1: So y'all, you also uh, come out and
0: demo the guns and for teams. Mm-hmm. how does that work? So I'll come out and I'll do demos for teams that are looking at the guns. Are for departments. Um, I can help them set up TNEs as well if they need a TNE gun to test and evaluate. And then if the team or the department adopts the gun for use. I can come out and do a free transition course so the guys can get used to the weapon, do a free one-day one class for the guys on the pistol. Mm-hmm. And and I love that part because I, I love training cops and getting yeah. out there and spending time on the range. Yeah. Um, and the company is so supportive of military and LE. Like, uh, as an example, if you are in an OIS, mm-hmm. with one of our guns, we'll give you a loaner gun until you get yours back. Oh, that is that's... So when your gun's inventoried, you don't have to worry about, Yeah. You know, what you're going to be carrying. Yeah. Take care of that.
1: Especially a guy who comes out of his own pocket. And and that's a huge deal. That's a lot. Yeah. I remember getting my gun back and man, it was like, Oh, I can't describe the feeling. You only know if you've been there. Yeah. And I always tell people, I don't make love to my gun or anything like that, but man, I'm never getting rid of that thing. It did its job and it, there's a bond there now yeah. uh, and that's a good thing and administrators and some people just don't understand I'm glad that company has that mindset to go this is important for the for our uh, customers that that's that's an awesome thing
2: to know do you have bigger departments buying the gun I mean like is it like an agency gun or is it
0: more like specialized unit unit guys uh, carrying the gun? The trends that I'm seeing are is if the department is purchasing the guns, it's usually for like the SWAT teams or for like, you know, SIS and mm-hmm. Los Angeles, stuff mm-hmm. like that. And then individual officer purchase is being authorized by a lot of departments, yeah. you know?
1: Cause y'all got on board with uh, safari land for holsters, correct? Yes. Yep. They've that's got a holsters. huge deal. Yeah. That was, that's a smart move by, by y'all's company. Yep. They've got that.
0: holsters and there's also the new T series from Blackhawk. Okay. Which is a really well designed holster as well that's yeah. that's out there too.
1: That's good because there's some guns out there that you're like, well, how in the hell am I going
0: to carry this thing? <laughs> so and it's a huge deal. So, well, and you know, Staccato, formerly STI, kind of transitioned to the law enforcement market so rapidly that there was a lag time at first mm-hmm. on the holsters. Yeah. But fortunately, that's passed now. And yeah. Holsters are good.
2: Yeah. Because I'm telling you, if you don't have a good duty, great holster, no matter how great the pistol is, the guys probably aren't going to carry it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: That's for yeah. sure.
2: So
1: you have your, your personal training company. Yes. Great beard. I know you got a beard. It's a little gray. <laughs> is it just that obvious or is there a story no. behind that or what?
0: No, no, there's actually a war story behind it. Okay. Let's um, hear it. Okay. All right. So we did this hit in Afghanistan and we wound up getting into some pretty good fighting for a couple of days, mm-hmm. right? Um, called into some strikes, moved through the village, bunch of stuff. And it was time to go ahead and exfil finally. So me and my buddy Dave took two squads of Afghans out to set up the perimeter for the helicopters to come in and pick us up. And We set up the perimeter and, you know, we're coordinating with the birds and the rest of the team is still in, you know, covered and concealed positions waiting on the birds to come in. And the interpreter comes running up to me and he goes, uh, Commander Matt." On the ICOMS, the Taliban say, get your guns. We get revenge for our fallen brothers. So I'm like, okay, I guess we're going to fight some more. Right? That's brilliant. So I get on the radio to Rick, my team sergeant. And, you know, we tell him, hey, you know, looks like we're about to get hit. Mm-hmm. You know, you guys stay where you're at. And when they hit us, we'll take care of it. You know, we'll fix them and they'll, they'll flank them and we'll do yeah. the fight. So we're waiting and the, the birds are racetracking. You know, they're not coming in until this is over with. We're waiting and we're waiting. I'm starting to get annoyed because I mean, it is, it is kind of like the Taliban to be late to their own ambush, but you know, I'm ready to get back and get a good meal and get some sleep. Yeah. Right. So I want to get this done with. And Ali comes running up my interpreter and he goes, and he, he, you could tell, like he knew I was not going to be happy. And he was like worried about telling me. Yeah. He comes up and he goes, um, I'm Comm- commander Matt, <laughs> I, I am so sorry, commander Matt. Um, Taliban say on radio, uh, everyone, go hide your guns. It is the graybeards. No more brothers die today. Like, <laughs> really? So here is the backstory on that. Um, my ODA for that deployment was probably chronologically the oldest in the whole regiment. Yeah. Um, our team leader has the regimental record for command time of a single ODA, oh, and gosh. no one else. No one else will beat this record because you can't do it. They literally changed the rules oh, really? so you can't do what he did. Um. I was either the youngest of the old guys or the oldest of the young guys at the time. And I was in my early forties. Oh, wow. So half the team was in their late forties and a couple guys were actually in their fifties, which operationally is almost unheard of. Right. Yeah. So I guess our street name in Afghanistan was the Greybeards. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's yeah. great, that is the man. best story. Old so, man, re-
1: old man drink, right yep, there. Yeah. Yep.
0: So when, when I started up the company, like I said, kind of my, my thought behind this was I wanted to give guys all the information on how to train that I wish I'd had, Mm -hmm. right? So it seemed like an obvious choice because it's like, so in this profession, you know, either you get good or you don't make it, Mm -hmm. right? So I want to give them the knowledge it's going to take for them to live until their beards are gray. <laughs> you know, for them to then be me yeah. 20 years from now passing on all their knowledge better than mine to the next group so that they're better still.
1: Good.
2: What's your favorite class to instruct to teach?
0: You know, I, I really love CQB. Mm-hmm. And I don't do it as often. Um, I do a lot of, like, open enrollment pistol stuff and a lot of, like, pistol stuff for TTPOA and everything else. But I, I have to admit, my favorite is, is CQB. I love teaching CQB. Now do you do like army points of domination thing? Is that what you teach? I do. Um, on the dynamic side, it's very much adapted from, you know, the Safalc and SafarTak doctrines from SF mm-hmm. um, on the deliberate side. So CPD SWAT has a good relationship with the Navy SMU. Yeah. Um, and I got to see some of their deliberate CQB mm-hmm. and, I it pains me to say it because I'm an SF guy yep. and they're SEALs, but I will say that their deliberate CQD is very, very good. Yeah. So I adapted as much as I could from their deliberate stuff and changed it a bit to make it fit with the hallway uh-huh. formations yeah. from the SF side of things. And that's kind of the the package that I teach is those yeah. two things together.
1: We're very much like that because we we've had the opportunity to go up to… Uh, train with dev group and 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 learn what you're talking about and we've taken that and our style of cqb is the the army but we've kind of meshed some of that stuff together and it's been really good because like you said it's it's impressive that an army guy can give credit to a
0: navy guy on some of this stuff (laughs) Ego is the enemy of improvement. Yeah, yeah. I think the
2: biggest thing that he said right there was he meshed, they meshed the two together, right? Yeah. So they're not just saying, oh, the Navy guys are doing this, so we have to do it their way. Yeah. You know, you may not have the guys on your team that are able to do that, yep. right? So you kind of have to tweak and make some changes to fit the dudes that you have, the operational experience they have, mm-hmm. the mindset, or even, even your administration may have something to do with, you know, we're not doing... We're not making injury. We're going to do surround call outs. We're only going to do whatever. So that's the biggest thing I like when guys say, hey, yeah, yeah. we take stuff and we mesh it to fit
0: yep. our department, our team, our skill set. To quote one of my favorite martial artists, right? You know, adapt what is useful. Mm-hmm. Discard what is not, right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's what you yeah. do. Yeah. And like I said, when when I took what I saw from their stuff, I change things to make it fit like our hallway formation so we could go seamlessly back and forth from dynamic to deliberate and shift gears. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But a good example of kind of what you were talking about, I think, so there are things that I would recommend for a full-time team to do. And there are things that I would not recommend for a part-time team to do. You know know what I'm saying? Like it repetition matters. Yes. And some things like on dynamic, I mean, you guys are familiar, I'm sure, with like, you know, stepping to center, mm-hmm. side picture, right? Yeah. Like a part-time team that's not getting a lot of reps, I'm a little leery to teach them that as an SOP because it takes a lot of discipline to do it right mm-hmm. and not get sucked into that eye candy in the middle of the room. Yep. But if you're going to put the reps in, it's better to do it that way. Hell yeah.
2: So that's you know? funny that you mentioned that yep. because I came from a full-time team. I spent nine and a half years on a full-time team. New chief, new leadership came in, some manpower issues, boom, we got busted up. Everybody got sent back to their their spots, stayed on the team, now went from full-time, nine and a half years full-time to now part-time element, absolutely right, absolutely right. Uh, the training reps, the operational tempo, yep. uh, things change, and it was it was hard for us to kind of look in the mirror and go, holy shit, man we're going to have to change some things because some of the guys, some of the older guys on the team, when this happened, they were like, man, we're out. You know, I've done this for this long. I'm not going to go do this part time. Yeah. So, you know, they left and, and that's their decision. And then it left me nine and a half years. I was still kind of a mid-level guy that left some of us mid-level and some younger dudes still there. And we're like, well, I'm not going anywhere. So, you know, it's, it, it was different. It's, you have to learn from, from, that element now and it was hard for us to make the changes but we looked in the mirror and we said dude if we don't change things we're going to get some of these younger guys messed up or lead them down the wrong path and we can't have that because now we're working through part-time issues now we're working through we have guys with no experience at all still waiting to go to basic swat schools Mm -hmm. i mean it's just you know it was it 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 was very difficult for that
0: Well, and and like a frame of reference right like i've i've trained teams that get one training day or two training days a month and when I left CPD SWAT, we were getting a full three months with our new kids mm-hmm. for an operator course. I mean, that's that's a ble- lot of time training for in Le. That's a lot on the, yeah. police, LA, on the lot. police side of things. That's, that's huge. Yes, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, these guys were pretty solid by the time we got done with them. That's yeah. awesome. But you can't expect somebody who's going, you know, two to four times a month. You no. Know, to reach that level. Yeah. You know? And
1: that's why we always tell my guys, hey, you got to take this home. You got to, on your break, on uh, your lunch break, take the other
0: two guys on your shift. Y'all run some cold runs, well, man. Do well, how about, things. How about this? This is one of the things, like going back to training like an athlete, right? Like you can literally take the footwork for being the number one guy digging that corner. You don't need anybody else. Mm-hmm. You need to do the whole room. Yep. And work just that threshold piece, that footwork, yeah, and look at it. You know, take your cell phone and videotape yourself. Yeah. Look at it. Is my muzzle being as efficient as possible digging that corner? Yes. Or do I think I'm hitting the corner but my muzzle's actually sweeping into yep. it behind that. my eyes? Yep. You know, like he, there's all these little things. Am I setting up my feet so that my plates are square to that corner when I break the threshold? Am I setting up so there's room for my number two guy to go back to back with me and, yep. and protect me? All these little nuances and subtleties that you don't even have an educated eye for it first. But if you break that down and do just that little piece, you can learn so much
2: from that and videotape yourself
0: and watch it and critique yourself and be honest without ego. Yep.
1: That's one of the big things that we learned when we were uh, in Virginia beach, they were like, Hey, sounds stupid, but here's the thing. Individual skill of working a door, getting, setting yourself up outside to be successful inside that room. And they're like, Hey, Do you all ever do like an hour before during practice of, hey, before you really start going hard, work on, hey, this room, we're doing this, this station, like this station, and you take your team and you just work on it for 15 minutes and then rotate to another. That has changed us so much that I love doing that because, man, it, it brings you back down. All right. Am I doing this right? Am I stepping center or I'm i stepping center but my gun's in the room? Yeah. Am I breaking down my gun? Like you said, and guys are watching it and every and it's 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 humbling because no one is above being told, hey man, you fucked that one up, man. Yeah. Uh, but you're right. That is so important. And when I was a young guy on the team, we didn't think about that. And that's that passing on to the new guys on the team like, man, you're gonna be so good. Because you're you're breaking down this foundation and doing it. Yep. And Tom Brady, I watched some documentaries on him. That guy goes and he's always working. And the simplest stuff that he should quote
0: already know, he's still doing the basics. Like just here's how you I mean, that's important. Anyone who is a master of their craft, if you watch their practice, if you watch their training, right, they're never beyond the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. I mean, the advanced what is advanced is being able to apply the fundamentals in a wide variety yeah. of difficult circumstances yeah. under pressure. Yeah. That's what's advanced. Yeah. You know, it's not spets knots backflips, throwing an axe. It's it's <laughs> I
2: always tell the guys or my kids or the recruits, the cool guy stuff that you see on the YouTube or Instagram, it's basically just the fundamentals sped up. Yeah, that's all it is. Yeah. So you have to master the fundamentals, and and I use that more for teaching pistol or carbine or stuff like that. But it does, you know, play into tactics and and everything that you do. But they want that instant, like gratification, like you know that mm-hmm. they have to feel like, man, I'm, I'm better than than the other department. I'm doing this. I'm, I'm you know, it, yeah. it's hard to kind of get to those guys to realize that. We got to stick to the basic stuff. You master the basics, the fundamentals, and it will just naturally happen under that stress or that, yep. that stressful situation or whatever, you know, your, your problem you have in front of you.
0: Yeah. And, and that's why I'm a big believer too. Like you look at, so one of the things we do in our industry that I think is a great disservice, and this is true on both military and law enforcement sides, a lot of the time, mm-hmm. the better teams aren't like this, mm-hmm. but your average teams tend to do this, yeah. Right is they conflate skill development with testing. Mm. And they're two very, very different things. Um, I I swear to God, nothing makes me twitch more than somebody going train like you fight Mm. because it's a logical fallacy, Mm. right? So I'll use a couple of examples from the athletic world, right? Mm. Do you know of any MMA fighter who does well, that does nothing but do full contact sparring in his training regimen? No. Is there any football team worth a damn that does nothing but put on pads and scrimmage? Right. No.
1: Well, now in USC, these fighters are not even, they're starting not even to spar anymore because yeah. they're they are learning, hey, this is, you don't need yeah. this. I already have this. You need dam. the drills. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. But for some reason, there are so many guys in the SWAT world and on the military side of the house too, but not at the higher levels, mm-hmm. right? That think you should put on every piece of kit every time you pull a trigger. No. Yeah. You want to develop skill in isolation like an athlete does, then you layer the distractors back in and make sure that the skill holds up. yes,
2: so how do you do that with like we talked about earlier, the teams they only get you know two days a month,
0: man like how do you how do you manage that? That's hard. that's really hard. um it's got to be it's got to fall back to that unit culture, right? Mm-hmm. How do I prove that I deserve to be here? Well, the way that they can prove they deserve to be there is working that stuff in isolation on their own. Yeah. Doing like we talked about, setting up on a door and spending an hour digging that corner and nothing else with no kid on. Yeah. And then when it's time to get together, it's like, oh, and this makes me crazy too. You've got teams that only have like such a small amount of training time and they do like a group workout. I'm like, no guys working out. That's an individual thing. Dry fire is an individual thing.
1: Yeah,
0: You know? If you're limited on training time, you have to maximize that training time, right? And give guys homework. But look at it this way too. Like, so, so I compete in USPSA, I do competitive shooting, right? The bulk of my work for that is a grind at home in dry fire every day, just, you know, putting in that work. So if you're on a SWAT team and that's your, like, that's your thing. Like, I am on this team. I need to be the best I can be for my teammates, for the public. Yeah. It's not on the department or the team to give you every bit of training. Yeah. It's on you to do the training you need to do to be the most productive mm-hmm. member of that team you can be. Yeah. You need to seek out knowledge. You need to research, study, contact people. You know, if you're a breacher, reach out to people. Yep. Reach out to, you know, satis at the SF groups. Reach out to the big Mm-hmm. The big full time teams and go. Hey, how do you guys solve this breaching problem? Right.
2: What do you tell the guys then uh, when they say, "Man, I don't have time for that. I got life, life, bro."
0: This is gonna sound kind of harsh. Bring um, it. Bring it. Maybe being on that team isn't the right place exactly. for you. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. And it. I know it sounds harsh, but that's just. So here's here's the other side of that, right? I was a very different supervisor in the detective bureau than I was on the SWAT team mm-hmm. because it was a different job. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that I didn't demand performance from my guys on the detective bureau, but it was a different environment. It wasn't the same yeah. on the SWAT team. I expected more from my guys on their own. Mm-hmm. I expected that.
2: Give them a job Yep. and you know it's going to get done. Exactly. Yep. Correct.
0: And it, the detectives were like that too, but it was a different thing. It, you know, different culture. Different yeah. culture.
2: Way different you know, culture.
0: I'm not knocking that at all, Yeah, but yeah. it's a totally separate, totally different thing. I understand exactly where you're coming from. Um, if you are not willing to put in that work, then you should not be on that team. Yeah. And I know that sounds harsh, but you got to look at it this way. If your job involves hostage rescue, yeah. if that is part of your mission, there is no good enough. There is no, I know enough. There is no, I'm good enough. You know, no, you're never a good enough shot. You're never a good enough tactician. You're never in good enough shape because you are literally the person who's going to go in and try to prevent an innocent life from being lost. Yeah. And I look at it too. If you're not willing to put in your own time
1: and spend your own money, it's disrespectful to me as your teammate. Yeah. Because I'm expecting you to watch me and to protect me because you got a damn job to do. I got a job to do, but if you're not putting in the time and and I hate that excuse of, well, I mean, that's expensive or I mean, the department ain't going to give me that. So fuck them. (laughs) That's the wrong attitude. It's your life. It ain't the department's life. It's your life. And it's my life.
0: Yes. So, and, and that's a huge thing for me. So I, and I can like going back to, unit culture, right? And mindset. So what makes SF special, in my opinion, is that almost to a man, it's not just, it's not just the athletic ability. It's not just the intelligence, right? It's that almost to a man, everyone in that regiment would literally rather die (laughs) than embarrass their regiment or let their teammates down. And that's the culture you need in SWAT, too, in my opinion. No, okay. Absolutely. Yeah, we agree 100%. Absolutely. You no, know, it's, it's like this this matters to me more than life. Yeah.
1: Because it, it's a lifestyle, and there's no off-duty. There's no – we were having this conversation last night. It's like, until my last breath,
0: I still want to get out there and do some stuff. Well, and it's it's that warrior culture. And like I said, I know warrior is not the popular word right now, but I'm sorry. Yeah. But – it's that warrior culture. <laughs> I'm it's. tired of being.
2: Well, a warrior that. can still be a guardian. Absolutely, yeah. right? Yeah. Absolutely, he's well, protecting his flock. He's protecting you know, yep. he's protecting his family. And then when the time comes, he puts on that warrior hat. Well, I think yeah. cake, uh, cake uh, gravy was
1: saying warrior of the uh, warrior of the cloth. You yeah. know, I'm like, man, I, I, I believe that. I mean, I, I wholeheartedly believe that.
2: So, since you've been training military law enforcement over the years, where do you think that we as law enforcement trainers? Have failed, are doing our guys a disservice. Is there anything that you think that we need to work on more better or be better at in the le training environment?
0: Yes, Um, and there's a lot to unpack here. Yeah. (laughs) So let's go back to like that whole tactical athlete phrase, right? Training like an athlete. I think, and this is. This is true in both military and law enforcement. More true in LE than military. Excuse me, but it's true in both. People go to a forty-hour course and are expected to become subject matter experts. Yes, <laughs> that's not how mastery works. Yeah, at all, right? I think that the biggest disservice we give people is that we're not giving them a template for their training, mm-hmm. and we're not we're not giving them a good enough concept of the fact that training is what happens every day. Training is not just going to this course. Training is what you're doing every day. Yeah. You know, I mean, the guys from the army SMU, they, they drive fire every day. Yeah. That's on their own. That's not, you know, it's training is what you do every day. Yeah. Training is not what the organization gives you once a month. Right. And I think that, and it's a difficult thing. I'm not quite sure how you would make that cultural shift in law enforcement.
2: I don't know if we can. I don't
0: know if we can either. Because
2: of everything. Think about today's law enforcement officer. Think of everything that that person has to be good at. (laughs) Right? I mean, like, dude, and and, and like every year, they're they're, they're adding more and more or more on top of that. So something has to give. Right And is it okay. going to be the, the, the classroom stuff, the penal code, the laws, the CCP, yeah. or is it going to be
0: the firearms or the DT or the tactics? And they're so hesitant now to train you know, high- level, yeah violence,, yep. shooting, combatives. So we kind of talked about tactics, this all we, of that. We
2: talked about this earlier, um, fear based they, and when I say they, admin, fear-based training they don't like fear-based training because they think that we're, we're setting that officer up with fear-based training to walk into every, every situation scared that you have a gun, he has a knife and I may have to use force or whatever it is. And honestly, sometimes we lose recruits and they blame fear-based training, right? Because we scared that recruit because that recruit never thought about the reality of the job.
0: There's a, Difference between fear and awareness. Mm-hmm. There's difference between fear and preparedness. Yep. Like like fear, and I'm not saying fear isn't there because it. You know, fearlessness is a myth, right? If you're fearless, you're a sociopath. <laughs> but being prepared and aware of a risk and yeah. mitigating that risk in an intelligent way. Yes. That's what you have to do, and so I I don't like I don't like that way of looking at it. You know, of looking at it as fear-based training. Yeah the reality is that that violence is there Mm -hmm. and violence is more prevalent against law enforcement now than ever. It's accepted now. Yes. So you're not creating some false fear in these people's minds. You're, you're telling them the reality of the world. Like this Mm -hmm. is the way it is. And like it or not, like pleasant topic or not pleasant concept or not politically correct or not. Part of your role as a law enforcement officer is to use force on behalf of the social structure, if necessary. Mm-hmm. Yep, that, That's part of your job. Yeah. And if we're not preparing yeah. people to do that part of their job, we're doing them a great disservice. Because yeah. if they're not prepared for that,
2: then either they're going to overreact yes. or underreact. So they underreact, they get hurt, they get me hurt, they overreact, and now we're going to end up on Fox News or CNN.
0: In my opinion— the vast majority of bad uses of force, Mm -hmm. the vast majority of them are not because the cop is a bully. Yeah, It's because the cop doesn't have confidence in his ability to survive. Exactly. Because he wasn't trained well enough. Mm -hmm. That's my opinion.
2: I I, agree 100% with that.
0: I I, I do too. And, And I think
1: building on that, I think that's what the SWAT community does, the SF community does. Is the debriefs? Yes. The other police world? That's no. I, I don't want to be called out of my. I don't want to be. Oh well, we don't want to hurt his feelings. Or oh, if, we, if we do this, oh, we're going to bite the liability bullet. Every operation we've ever done gets debriefed, and we've never done one where it was perfect. Never. I don't know any team that's done. But that's what drives me crazy. Is why don't we, as a police culture? Demand that for, I'm not saying every call you got to debrief, but there's certain things. And also, with the ability that we have now with videos, if patrol officers are not watching their videos, man, that's once again, ownership. Hey, oh, dude, ah man, I shouldn't have done that.
0: Well, the AAR is so powerful because the AAR is a tool to guarantee that what we talked about earlier happens. Yeah. That knowledge becomes institutional, not individual. Yep. If an AR is done correctly, then the lesson that I learned is now learned by everybody. And I just kept to myself. Yes. And that's that's a huge that's one of the reasons why the units that are really good on both sides of the coin are so good. It's yeah. because they don't have any ego about that. Yes. Yeah.
2: We used to do in my department, not just on the on the team side, every every operation we did as a team, we always would debrief immediately after the operation. We get back down gear and then we debrief and like I was telling him I and mean, that was ego at the door that's I mean I learned that like day 1 as a SWAT dude yes during debriefs what is said in this room stays in this room right and your ego's at the door you don't get your feelings hurt yep mm-hmm. right so and we as, as as a big department we used to do a debrief on major you know major things uh, happening and for whatever reason, we got to like further and further away from doing those. And I wish we'd go back and do those, mm-hmm. like you're saying, because the young dudes that are now coming on to the big department, they need that. Yeah. They need that baseline experience or knowledge to go, Hey man, if I run into this, yeah. now I kind of have an idea. I can kind of mind map and figure out I should do this, this, and yeah. not overreact or underreact.
1: I'm a, I'm a one-year guy on patrol and I go to this call and this 10-year guy's on the call and he does this, and it never gets talked about later. As the one-year guy, I just assume that's the—that's what you do. When the reality is, no, that's not what you do. That guy's just a bad, lazy cop. But no, that never gets told to him. So and re- so he does it, repeating
0: the same year ten times. Yes, not ten years of experience. No, yeah, <laughs> I like that. I like that. That's good. That's awesome. If mm-hmm. you're not learning. So there's no steady state in nature, right? There's no stasis. Right. You're either improving or you're degrading. Mm-hmm. That's, that's it. Yeah. There's, no, there's no, I arrived, I know it. It's, <laughs> you're either going, how can I be better? Or you're automatically getting worse. Yeah.
2: Are you learning from your students?
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, I,
2: and, I, and I ask other instructors that because now my primary function is uh, the range master. And I learn every basic class I teach, every other firearms class, every SWAT class, I learn something. And I, as an instructor, man, I want to pick something up every every day from every class so I can use it. And I tell guys, oh man, I really like that. I'm going to
0: steal that. Yeah. Who yeah. who was it that said it? I think it was either Plato or Socrates. When uh when one teaches to learn, mm-hmm. yeah,
1: yeah, I, I learned a lot. I, I love and like I said, I love just talking with guys about tactics, about mindset. I, that's why I like the debrief. So, hey Derek, what happened here? I'm not challenging you know what you did. I want to know what were you thinking, and then Derek tells me this, this, and this. I'm like, oh damn, I didn't know that. I was looking at it this well, way. That's the biggest thing you were looking at it this way.
2: Shit, dude, mm-hmm. you're you're right on, man. You have to know what you're thinking and what drove, like, what decision drove you yes. to do whatever. Like, yeah. at this time, I thought this, so I I did this. Yeah, you know. Well, let's
0: look at athletes again, right? And here's an example from the competitive shooting world. So the guys that are really good because I've got the good fortune of, you know, I, I know yeah. some like national world champions pretty well now. And when you talk to them, like you can see their run at nationals and you look at it and you're like, that's superhuman. Yeah. Right. But when you know the guy and you talk to him about that, he points out all these mistakes, Yeah. <laughs> but that's why he's a national champion. Yeah. If you want to be really good at what you do, you cannot have that, that ego attachment to how you mm-hmm. appear. You just yeah. can't. Yeah, you, You've got to be, and I don't mean your own worst critic in like a negative way. It's not yeah. a self-defeating thing at all. Right. You know, you know, you're good, you know, you're going to be better, but the way you're going to be better is by being brutally honest with yourself about what you could have done better that time. Mm-hmm. And then doing the work to make it happen the next time. Yeah. Cause knowing it is different than being able to do it. You got to put in the work. Yeah. No. And,
1: and, and, that, and you said that earlier, man, that balance of being your own worst enemy is good and bad. It's just having that balance to go. Okay. I can't beat my, I usually, for me, it's about two days. If I do something and it could be little about two days. And after about that, I, I'm like, okay, I've, I've resolved that. I'm good with that.
0: I've learned from that. One of the things I talk about in my classes that I think is so important because this is a weakness, both on the military and the law enforcement side of the house is we don't give ourselves permission to fail in training. Mm-hmm. We have this zero defect mentality that if I make a mistake or fail in training, I'm somehow a failure mm-hmm. or guys will think less of me. Yeah. You cannot you cannot look at it that way yeah. because if yeah. you don't fail in training, if you're working in your comfort zone in training, you're not getting better.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, Growth happens at the edge. Growth happens where you're making mistakes and yes. you're figuring things out. Otherwise, you're going to truly limit your improvement mm-hmm. at what you're doing. And you've got to be able to run it off the rails in training. You've got yeah. to be able to make yeah. mistakes. Yeah,
2: But if you own up to your, like as a team leader now, I own up to my mistakes in training or operational. And I go, man, I really fucked that up, man. I'm sorry. Yeah, I think the guys, whether you do that, then go, no, 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 I didn't. No, 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 I, no, I, no I totally did that perfect. Yeah. I mean, you have to own up to your mistakes. I mean, you have to do that, right? How, how many times have you seen a
1: senior guy or a team leader they screwed that shit up? but it's no nah, man no nah, uh, no nah. and you're like dude just just take it like yeah you screwed it up and there's sometimes that conversation of hey he was right yeah okay yeah okay yeah that's a huge thing and I, i've done it
0: myself i mean i'm not you know well it's it's a hard thing right yeah. it's it's hard to not be attached to it yeah but that's the way to get better yeah and and like i said it's got to be you need to Allow yourself to fail and understand that that's part of the growth process, mm-hmm. like the training process. But it should still hurt your soul. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I mean, it, it yeah. really should. Yeah. 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 When you're and driving and, home from practice, like son of a bitch, you're just stewing over it and learning from it. But the way it should hurt your soul is in that motivational way. Yes. That, you know, I need to go put the work in so that I don't do that again. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. in, you know, hell with it. I'm going to rage quit. Not like yeah. that. <laughs> it's like, okay, I got to put some work in. Cause I don't want to do that again. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know, correct.
2: You know, the other day on the operation where your guys came out to, to support us on that, on that one deal we did and another, um, you know, Sergeant and I were talking about the, the, um, the operation. We came up with a plan and man, we're like, Oh, maybe we should do this. Maybe we shouldn't. And we just sit there and bantered back and forth for 45 minutes. Well, Made the wrong call. You know what happened on that one. Made the wrong call. And, man, it just ate both of us up. And now him and I were arguing over, no, it's my fault. No, it's his fault. No, yeah. it's my fault. Because, no, I said, hey, let's do it. And he's like, no, I came up with the I did. And I said, well, I agreed with you. And, dude, it ate, it, it, that, that well, ate at me. I love hearing that,
1: though. Like, cause I that, mean, that ate yeah. at me
2: for all day we're sitting out there with your guys. It yeah. ate at me because, one, you know, I said, hey – I made the call as a team leader. We should do it. He made the call as, you know, he came up with a yeah. plan. And now I got your guys there. And I'm like, <laughs> shit. Yeah.
1: But I love hearing that because you're taking ownership in that. Yeah. And that's, that's huge because I know, hey, man, yeah, that was a, but at the time you're making your decision
0: and, and, and you're owning it now. That, well, that, what, I mean, you can't what, ask anything else. When you sum it up, right? Like, what is leadership? Cause this, this is one of those things that, that kind of makes me crazy too is that, And you see this on both sides. We see it more on the police side than the military. You see people that think of leadership as privilege. Yes. Leadership is not privilege. Mm -hmm. Leadership is the opposite of privilege. Leadership is responsibility. Yeah. The only reason leadership has privileges is to give you the time and mental space to have that responsibility. Mm -hmm. That's the only reason you get the privilege. Yeah. It's not because you're somehow better than the guys underneath you. It's because if you're doing... The stuff they're doing, you don't have time to do the stuff you have to do. Yeah. that's it. Yeah, but leadership is all about responsibility. Mm-hmm. It's it's all about that, and just serving your guys, like yeah. truly serving your guys.
1: Uh, that 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 gets me. How are we doing on
2: time? I mean, we're good. I mean, good. we're at one twenty. Anything else you want to talk about, or what you got coming up? Which uh, what's coming down the pipe? Anything so good?
1: One thing. You've been you trained with TTPOA what once so far, or
0: you've done two classes. So, I've got, I've done two. Okay. And we've got one on the schedule right now in Houston in May. I know we're going to look at putting another one in Round Rock, and I'd like to do some
1: more. You're going to do one for Region 7 up in the Dallas area. That's what we're, we're Okay, good. We're going to good. work that one out uh, as well. So, if guys want to uh, train with you outside of TTPA because you might be in Alaska
0: and I'll listen to this or whatever, how would they go about getting a hold of you? What do they got to do? So, my website is graybeardactual.com. And I bought both domain names. So it doesn't matter which way you spell gray. It's going to go to the right oh, place. Good. So smart. <laughs> smart, I, I, wish, smart. I wish I had thought of it, but the people at GoDaddy thought of it. So. Oh. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I've got a class calendar on there and you can sign up for the classes on there. Um, agency industry stuff. Like, you know, if I'm doing something for a team, they can reach out to me, you know, either my emails on the website, Okay, am um, little at com, or they can hit me up on IG. I'm, graybeard underscore actual. I just was looking at that. And I can set up something for a team or for an agency. Okay, Um, And like I said, I I love doing that. That's actually my favorite is to do that. I've got open enrollment pistol and carbine classes. I think I've got a five or six scheduled this year across the country. Um, I tend to keep those to no more than one a month just because otherwise it becomes less of a, enjoyable thing to do in retirement and yeah. more of a grind. Yeah. But I'm really proud of the class. And if you don't mind, I kind of like to- No, go ahead. Yeah. No. So we got plenty of time, this, man. Is we,
1: this is what we
0: get you for here for me. So the pistol class is a bit different than what you, you normally see, mm-hmm. like in an open enrollment pistol class. My class is all about giving guys that training methodology to go do the work. Mm-hmm you know, how to set it up so that they know what they need to work on, how to format and template their training, how to construct their drills, mm-hmm. how to figure out how much time in their training to spend on what drills to get to where they want to be. And that really is like the thrust of the class. Yeah. We shoot a lot and we do a lot of drills, but we do them to show you how to do that on your own. Mm-hmm. Because if I had known what I know now about training for shooting, right. training that like an athlete, like yeah. I said before, I would have been as good as I am now in my 20s instead of it taking me so long <laughs> to get there. Yeah. Right? So I want to give guys kind of that complete package really. so that they can take it, and if they put the work in, you know, in five years or so, they can reach their their potential yeah. other than it taking such a long time. Good. I like, I like that class. Well, let's, let's do that one up in the Dallas area. All right. We'll do that.
2: Man, we're eager for training up here, man. We... You come up here, I'm telling you, that class would sell out, man. Guys love, love, pistol, carbine, CQB, anything like that, man. Yeah, we uh, we're, we're fortunate just
1: in the area we are with the Dallas Fort Worth metro. I mean, there is so many departments that are just, and we're we're on top of each other, and it just keeps growing and growing and growing. So, uh, it's a good region that I get the, that I was blessed to to have, and once again, going back to always makes things better than than, than than you found it. I mean, I took Derek's place, and then Derek took uh, what, Dan's place, mm-hmm. and then Graham, and Paul Cerami, and Rick Cutler. I mean, all these guys, man, th- those were all those dudes that I always looked up to coming in, being a young guy. And, man, hey, that – those are the guys that put all the all the training on the website. I always go as a young guy, I look on the website. Oh man, that class I want to go to this class. I want to go to this class. And I was fortunate to do that. And now I'm in that position. And I, I take pride in to bring guys in and to host our classes. And man, that, that gives me so much joy when guys come up to me, oh, man, y'all had a basic SWAT school, man. We learned so much or y'all brought this guy in and man that class was amazing. We took this back and we've worked on this and this is what we're our department's doing. Or hey, we Hey, I want to talk to you about this. How would y'all do this? I mean, it's awesome. I, I, I am blessed with, truly when I get to do that with, with guys. At, at this. I love our conference. I love our competition. I love hanging out with guys like you. Like you said, it's mash this, this is training right now that we're doing. Yep. I mean, it, it is. I mean, I'm not getting T. Cole
2: credit, but man, my mind is, is soaking in this stuff. Well, the part um, that I like, we talked about this, is we bring in so many different types of instructors with so many different types of backgrounds right and we let the dudes go out and choose i want not take a class from matt i won't take a class from this guy i want to do this take something find something bring it back to your team and see if you guys can morph whatever matt told you or taught you and see if you can morph that to fit you know wherever you're from agency mm-hmm.
0: absorb so, what is useful that's yeah, it man yeah, you're right
2: Man, we appreciate you coming out, taking time out of your day to uh, talk with us. And if there's anything that we can ever do for you, man, you please reach out and uh, we will help you as much as we can.
0: Likewise. I mean, TTPOA has been great to me since I started the company. Mm. And you guys run – you guys, in my opinion, run probably the best state SWAT organization in the country. We appreciate that. And I love doing stuff with you guys. I really do.
2: Awesome. That means a lot, bro. Yeah, that means it means a goes. lot. It means that we're doing something right. We're doing something <laughs> I, right. I don't know how we are, but. <laughs> so, uh,
0: yeah, any closing words, man? No, just thanks for having me on. I enjoyed the conversation and uh, I enjoyed the conference. I'm yep. having a great time.
2: Awesome. Looking forward to next year, right? Absolutely. Awesome. All right. See you, brother.
0: See you, Matt. Bye.